hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week is special. Special how? Special like the mighty Bayern München losing a game for once. Special with me to help make sense of this shocking turn of events is a very special guest. It's Marie Schulte-Balkum. Thank you, Matt. I actually, as soon as you said this week is special and then you said mighty, I thought I was going to end with the mighty Marie, you know, a little bit of alliteration going on there, but I'll take it. I'm looking forward to discussing this match day with you, which was a good one. And I'm already mourning the fact that we now have to wait two more weeks for the next Bundesliga games. I know, I know. And I, I will make a note that it is on your wish list to be known, uh, at least temporarily, at some point as the mighty Marie. <laughs> we'll make a note of it. We'll put a pin in it. We'll come back to it. There will be t-shirts. There will be t-shirts. <laughs> Sweet. All right. This week, we're going to mull over that, that shocking result from the Allianz Arena. We're going to be talking about the team who went level with Bayern after they dropped those points. We're going to be talking about trouble in Berlin. We're going to be talking about whether, you know, the foals might be ready to ride and uh, a lot more. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day seven. It was uh, a match day that was punctuated by a pretty big surprise toward the end of the match day. We might as well go ahead and get that out of the way, because I really do think this was uh, not necessarily the best game in terms of uh, you know level playing or back and forth scoring, but the best in terms of the most intriguing. And I'm going to admit it, FC Bayern, versus Eintracht Frankfurt did not have uh, big game energy. <laughs> it was, you know, a team that had yet to win a game this season heading into match day seven. I mean, granted, they did have five draws, and that is what you get when you hire Oliver Glasner <laughs> uh, against a team that had not yet lost and uh, had only dropped points once way back on match day one uh, when they were just kind of getting their act together under Mr. Julian Nagelsmann. But perhaps, sometimes... You just don't know until the game starts what's going to go down. First, Kevin Trapp saved everything that Bayern threw at him. Then Bayern and Frankfurt traded goals in a pretty short span in the first half. Then Kevin Trapp went back to saving everything that Bayern threw at him. Then Philip Kostic put the Eagles up with a beautiful, hard shot on the deck from a tight angle. And then Kevin Trapp went back to saving every damn thing that Bayern threw at him for the final 10 minutes. Marie, I have to say this was, <laughs> you know, this was one of those games that I think I was probably tempted to check out on because I'd watched a lot of Bundesliga through the weekend. But as soon as I saw the way things were going, I went back to the, the glued to the screen posture. What a result. Yeah. What stood out to you in this one? I think this had really like the grits and kind of black and white glamour, not not for the quality of the game, but for the suspense of like a Tuesday or Wednesday night DFB Pokal German Cup tie in the sense that there were all these twists and turns and, you know, there was the underdog and the Goliath and it there were just a lot of um, storylines here and it was a stadium with spectators thank god i do not look back fondly on those days without and it was a day where serge gnabry inexplicably uh, missed some shoe wins that he usually does not miss um it was a day where robert Lewandowski was by his standards invisible on the pitch so there was a lot working in eintracht frankfurt's favor but that is not to say that this in my opinion game was decided by bayern not turning up bayern played decently well. They were organized. They had their absolutely first 11 that they've been playing with these past couple of weeks in the Champions League and Bundesliga. I was expecting Jamal Musiala to perhaps get a start in favor of Gnabry or Müller or Sané to be rested. That was not the case. Um, Julian Nagelsmann really came with like all trumpets um, blazing here and it wasn't enough. And what a result for Frankfurt. I think we were all a little bit worried about Frankfurt. Um, you know, they lost Freddy Bobic, they lost Adi Hütter, they lost Andre Silva. And I mean, like last season, if you if you made a comic story about Eintracht Frankfurt, those would be the three characters, you know, and then maybe like some ultra fans. But they're all gone. 
And now you have new faces on the block. You have Lammers and, you know, some young players, players that are new to the Bundesliga. And it, it's, it seems like the patience of the fans is being rewarded. And were they lucky here? Yes. But I don't think this was like a shock result, you know, like they, they made the best of the chances they got. And I think Frankfurt is a kind of team that if they get the ball and you give them the ball and they have 10 minutes of a good spell, they will just like, you know, completely explode from, from there. It's like a confidence driven team, a momentum driven team, even within a game, a momentum can be developed and, I think no one shows that better than uh, Philip Kostic, who is such a like sensitive player and who really brought his A game today. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't exactly a, a game I would put up in a museum for like quality of play, but it was really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting you brought up the, uh, the the comic book character <laughs> sort of narrative device. I, I I agree with you. I do want to say that there might have been a shout for both Philip Kostic and Martin Hinteregger, and of course those are the two guys who who, who scored. But <laughs> really, after today's game, I mean, Kevin Trapp, he's he's in the comic. <laughs> he's got to be. I mean, this was probably the most sort of strictly impactful performance from from a goalkeeper that I've seen in a really long time because. This, this is a game that, you know, his team won 2-1, and very, very, very easily they could have lost 4 or 5-1 or nil, yeah. you know, if things had gone another way. Totally. And I think you make a good point. I think maybe moving away from comic books, how about we settle on like a, an Amazon Prime, what is it, Impossible or Nothing? No, that's Nike. <laughs> yeah, All or Nothing. Like yeah, sure, sure. All or Nothing, a new show about Frankfurt with Hinteregger, as like the kind of mascot of the team, then Kevin Trapp as the behind the scenes because we all want to like know how he lives with his girlfriend, um, the Victoria's Secret model who's Brazilian and lives in Paris. And there's just so much going on there. Like the fans, like what is their path to the stadium? How do they plan their choreographies and all that stuff for the European competitions um, in past years? So yeah, it's it's always been a very I wouldn't say always, but in the last maybe five years. It's been a very colorful club to follow and good for them. And honestly, good for the Bundesliga that they managed to end their their losing or not winning spell. And the Bundesliga, you know, instead of us yawning, entering the international break, everything's looking a bit tighter up top. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do as as a club. If you, if you were a, a traditional club in Germany and you get things right, you start winning, you start going to Europe and you play reasonably attractive football, which they do and have done for the last several years, it's amazing how many neutral fans will just flock to you <laughs> and think that you're actually a pretty cool club after all, after having ignored you for a really long time. Definitely. I mean, speaking as a, you know, aficionado of the beautiful game and a fan whose team is currently not represented in Germany's first tier. <laughs> it's, you know, you could call me that, like a, an appreciator, a neutral fan of of cool football. And it's right now I'm tuning in for Leverkusen's games. Um, I'm tuning in for Union Berlin's games. Stuttgart have been a very interesting uh, club to see um, how they've developed under their American coach. And Frankfurt, you know, I they kind of gone off my radar a little bit this season because I was like, oh, you know, Kamada is not really in good form. He's a player I really appreciate. But Frankfurt was that team with the in the Buffalo herd era of their front three with Rebic, Jovic, and Alea. And maybe maybe they get there again. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it. You just mentioned Leverkusen. Leverkusen also played on Sunday. They won their game. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I wanted to sort of segue between talking about Bayern and Eintracht and then talking about Leverkusen. With the context that, um, you know, Bayern are heading into the international break with a loss, their first loss at home in almost two years, their first ever loss at the Allianz uh, to Eintracht, the last time Eintracht won down in Munich, that was in the pre-Allianz era. <laughs> but Bayern, on match day eight, are going to be traveling to Leverkusen. I know that uh, you just said that you, you do tune into their games for the entertainment value, for the sort of good football that they play. I find myself wanting to watch them uh, as well. How do you see that one playing out? Should we look toward that game as a real marquee Bundesliga game, or is this going to be <laughs> one of those ones that we all get our hopes up for? 
and see those hopes dashed. No, I I think you, you're on the right track. I completely agree. I'd say, you know, put the champagne in, in the fridge now, get ready, because I think we'll see at least three goals. They're both teams that attack very well and have basically an infinite supply of attacking talent in midfield and up front. Florian Wirtz, you know, Germany's heir apparent to Kai Havertz, which sounds so bizarre because Kai Havertz is like three years older, <laughs> is with Leverkusen and Bayern has definitely been flirting with him. And they have, you know, Leverkusen has two incredibly informed attackers besides Wirtz in Patrick Schick, who's really been flying ever since the end of last season and then continued that form at the Euros and then is bringing that form back to his club now. And of course, Moussa Diaby, who um, got his debut with the French national team. And I mean, that pretty much says it all. If you make it into the French national team with the kind of attacking talent they have, you're an elite company. And yeah, I think also historically, Bayern is often troubled by teams that attack and want the ball. And, you know, with the kind of hilarious exception of Dortmund, because I think Dortmund just takes it a bit too far, playing such a high line. And then you often have Bayern Dortmund games that are like 5-1 or whatever. But Leverkusen is not like that. Leverkusen has uh, Jonathan Tah in the back, um, two really promising fullbacks in Frimpong and Baka, and their new centre-back signing, Kosonu. So they, they, they have a really interesting back line. Um, then they have leaders in midfield in Arangis and Dimirbay. And then they have the attacking talent we just talked about. And they also have a deep bench, you know, nothing compared to Bayern Munich, but a solid bench. And I think at the very least, this is going to be a game where we see both teams scoring. And if I remember in the last five years, it was Bayer Leverkusen and it was Borussia Mönchengladbach. They were the two clubs that most frequently gave Bayern a lot of trouble in direct matches. So I kind of hope that we see that again and, and we get a good game. Yeah, yeah, I, I have high hopes for it. I think uh, the fact that Leverkusen are at home is is going to be helpful. And I really just like the swagger that um, <laughs> Leverkusen are playing with right now. I mean, I was watching that game against uh, Armenia Bielefeld uh, this Sunday afternoon. And, you know, yes, it's Bielefeld. But the way that they dispatched them mm-hmm. was just, you know, it was rude. I mean, there was on that third, the third goal, it was basically Leverkusen surging forward. And, you know, <laughs> Jeremy Frimpong got it to the, to the end line, cut it back to Patrick Schick, who just headed it in directly, like after sort of nudging off a defender. And like, basically the, the entire move was one that like, I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> Leverkusen players knew what was going to happen. The Bielefeld players knew it was going to happen. Then they couldn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Because the interplay was so, you know, slick. The the finish was so well taken. It was just like, they made them look like chumps. Yeah, you, you're kind of expecting, like, I think with some of these attacks that Leverkusen plays, I mean, they last like five seconds. They're so fast. They're so vertical. And you're kind of expecting that to be like a soundtrack, like some, I don't know, like smooth jazz or R&B or rock and roll, just because it's so like rhythmic how they play and how they find each other, like Frimpong uh, combining with Musa Diaby pretty much since the first match day this season, they were just like a match made in heaven. And Florian Wirtz always finding Patrick Schick also really interesting there. And like you said, it's kind of like their swagger, I think for Patrick Schick's first goal in this game. The way he celebrated, where he basically like spread his shoulders, stood upright, and like kind of like bowed to the fans. It, he looked like he was like a, a Spanish bullfighter, you know, holding holding the flag for the ball, tempting the ball. And he he's just not that skinny player that came to Leipzig and looked a bit out of his depth, but very talented. He's now a solid you know, European striker. And Leverkusen is very lucky to have him because a lot of teams, I mean, you only need to look at Leipzig. A lot of teams lack that type of top, top quality striker who's going to get you 15 goals a season. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, celebration. I, they, the, apparently, the Bielefeld fans were not 
entirely uh, excited <laughs> about that celebration because it wasn't in front of the traveling fans. It was in front of the home fans. And on his second celebration, he went flexed, which like, I, I got to be honest, like there's a lot of footballers because footballers are not generally the bulkiest fellas out there. Yeah. Sometimes when they flex, it's a little like, oh, yeah, nice. Nice yeah. one there, guys. But it was a, it was a legit flex. Like yes. he's, he's uh, built some power onto that frame, that's, which, that's what you know, I meant. You for, for, for a striker that, that big, you got to use it. Exactly. And I don't think that was always the case. He, he did. He's kind of done like a, a mini Leon Goretzka there without any of us noticing in terms of bulking up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about another couple of teams who sort of have been, been in the mix near the top of the table in recent seasons. Wolfsburg, who have been way up there for the early weeks of this season, and then Borussia Mönchengladbach, who of course have a bit more history uh, at those upper reaches, but had gotten off to not such a good start. Pretty surprising result, I thought, in that Gladbach went into Wolfsburg and got a 3-1 win. They really were kind of just firing blanks for a while at the beginning of the season, and they seem to have sorted a few things out. I mean, Braille Embolo's, his bicycle kick goal, mm-hmm. really nice. It was it was the better of the two bicycle kick goals this weekend, <laughs> I think. Uh, although maybe I'm biased. In that I respect. love that we have a choice. Uh, we, we have I know. bicycle kicks to choose from. <laughs> yeah, Jonas Hofmann uh, added another. So basically, you know, Gladbach, Got off to a super fast start. They had, they were up 2-0, what, eight minutes in or something like that. And that was just too much of a hill to climb for Wolfsburg, apparently. I mean, Luka Waldschmidt did get one back, but that was as far as things could go. Yeah. Congrats to the, uh, you know, maybe one day when Greg Burhalter thinks that he's ready. USMNT player, uh, Joe Scali. He got his first Bundesliga goal <laughs> assisted by none other than Jan Sommer. And that, that, I think that is actually his first Bundesliga assist, as far as I could tell uh, by, by, by researching that. What do you make of Gladbach? They are kind of getting in gear in terms of results anyway. They got uh, that, that win against Dortmund last weekend. What do you think has got them going? What is, what's turning them around? Yeah, that's a really interesting way to ask the question. We, we did talk about Gladbach a few weeks ago when I was on the show before. And at the time, we were talking about how Wolfsburg is overperforming and Gladbach is underperforming. And it was really fascinating to see the two teams match up. And now we have Exhibit A. Yeah. And, you know, Wolfsburg had downward momentum heading into this duel and Gladbach had upward momentum. It's not every day that you, you know, sweep past Borussia Dortmund. And I was not really that surprised. I think I was surprised by how many goals they were able to get by Wolfsburg because Wolfsburg has had such a great defense, not just this season, but also honestly last season. And it's a defense that's now actually very much set in stone and that's growing together in terms of Mbabu and uh, Lacroix and uh, Baku. If you count him as a defender, you know, he's kind of like a wing wing back that he puts the forward and wing back <laughs> and, and Brooks. You know, it's it's not every day that it, it's not easy to score a three against Wolfsburg, against this team uh, that's so disciplined. You know, then you've got uh, Maxi Arnold in midfield and they did that. And I think a lot of the, the start was very weird. You know, I think we had two like exceptional goals in this game before the players on the other pitches on, on Saturday had even woken up. And to me, one, you know, a lot of that has to do with Dennis Zakaria who didn't get a goal in this game and maybe flew under the radar a bit for that reason, but who did exceptionally well next to Kone on the last match day and kind of brought that form again today. And for all his qualities, you know, he's been linked with so many clubs. He's such an intelligent and elegant midfielder. But for all his qualities, he's he's consistently over the past few years been inconsistent. And not really from a game-to-game standpoint, but literally like a month-to-month. He'll have a good month, he'll have a bad month, he'll have a high-scoring month, he'll have a bench munch, month and munch. And and he's just had, you know, he was munching on Wolfsburg, so to speak. And that then allows players like Brill Embolo to shine because they get those balls, they're fed balls um, that cut through defense. And it's all, unfortunately, to the bad luck of Florian Neuhaus, who seems to have been edged out of the starting lineup for now, given how well Kone is doing and how basically irreplaceable Zakaria is. But again, I mean, even the fact that you have 
guys like Hermann and Florian Neuhaus, German national team players, um, at least in the case of Neuhaus, but they both have been capped, just like chilling on the bench pretty much says it all. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, maybe if you were not taking the long view and remembering just how much quality and how much depth this Gladbach side had, it might have been tempting to think about them as, as, as a team in decline. But I think it was just a lot of players having a little dips in form at the same time. There was some bad luck involved. I think there was also a little bit of an adjustment to a, a new coach coming in in, in Adiota. But we all remember we all remember how good this team is. I mean, they didn't even play, as you said, you know, uh, uh, Florian Neuhaus. They didn't even play you know, Hannes Wolf and Laszlo Benesch, who at, at times in the past have both been impact players. There's there's every reason to think that this is, is a team that's going to, you know, continue to go up the table in the coming weeks. Definitely. And yeah, Hannes Wolf, it's good that you mentioned him because he, he has been shining brightly and he's had some good spells um, also from when coming off the bench. So he's definitely one to keep an eye on. I'm actually looking forward to the game where, Adi Hütter um, and his Gladbach side play Frankfurt, especially um, the game in Frankfurt, because he really built a connection with with that club. And it will just be interesting, you know, just the same way that Marco Rosa was very much loved by the Gladbach players. And when there was that game last weekend, it was funny after the final whistle to see Marco Rosa basically hug all of his Gladbach players and, you know, Sometimes a Dortmund player would walk past him and he'd be like, you know, good job, Julian Brandt, good job, Jude Bellingham. But there was so much affection between him and and the Foles. And, <laughs> Just yeah. buzz off. i got to whisper something <laughs> in Brielle Lembolo's ear. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's – and to me, I mean, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this, so I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but Marco Rosa and Adi Hütter are like the same person, you know? They're just like – to me, they, they have that similar kind of like silver fox thing going on. They both came from other German-speaking leagues. They both appreciate attacking style football and have a good way of talking to the fans and the press. And they're clearly, you know, sought after by similar clubs. So really interesting to maybe compare where they're now at and the progress of both those coaches and, and see how that develops. Yep. All right. I think maybe we can take a break now. We've got probably, uh, you know, n- another six or so games to touch upon and, and all the storylines uh, built in there. So why don't we take a little break? Here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. This is where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. And just because you're in the rest doesn't mean you don't have something going on. Because I think there's a lot of good storylines still here in the second half of the pod. First among those would be Dortmund. I don't think that this specific game, you know, a 2-1 home win over Augsburg, uh, has a lot of meat on the bone in terms of, uh, you know, spectacular strikes or, you know, uh, twists and turns. It was a pretty, pretty dutiful thing. But I think that there's quite a lot to talk about maybe in the absence of a certain player. What do you think, Marie? Do you think that this game in another world, in a world where Erling Holland had played in this game, uh, might have been a little different? Yes. And it was so funny every time that the TV cameras found Holland on the ranks because he was so invested in this game. And it's just, I mean, we all know that he looks like his own FIFA player figurine because he's just like a very expressive guy. And whenever people are like, ooh, Holland is unhappy, Mino Raiola is negotiating with Barcelona, which, you know, in itself is kind of like, what? Uh, they have no money to pay his wages. Then, you know, it just takes that. It just takes a swerve of a TV camera of him sitting in Westfalenstadion or on the Dortmund bench where he never sits. So that's actually a lie. But of him just like joking around with Jude Bellingham after um, the final whistle when he's fit to just refute all of that. You know, he, he seems to be a very disciplined kind of like young guy. You know, he's a little bit silly sometimes on Twitter, which he should be at his age. We forget his age because he looks like he's older and he plays like he's older. But yeah, to get to your question... If you were on the pitch, yeah, this could have ended like 5-1, 4-1. 
and he's not really a player that takes pity on uh, bad teams. <laughs> um, so that would have been a different game. But I think in some ways for Dortmund, this was a big win because it showed the maturity that they were often lacking in past seasons where they would drop points against Hoffenheim, against Augsburg, against Freiburg, and really for no reason. You know, they would have like 18 shots on goal and the opposition would have five and it would be like expected goals 2-0 and then they would lose 2-1. And um, that's just not going to cut it if you're trying to compete for uh, Die Meisterschale for the German championship. And so this game, will we remember it? No, probably not even with, with you know, in later this month when the Bundesliga comes back. But those three points are in the bank and, um, you know, Bayern having dropped three points, this could be a big win for Dortmund looking forward. Yep. I feel like this game would have followed the script of Dortmund so outlandishly underperforming their XG or so making so little of their chances because they've done that so many times in the past that they would have made us sweat until you know, the final minutes. We, we know this game. We've seen this game many times. But uh, the fact that they were able to get this without having to sort of get into the nail-biting zone was great. I mean, their, their XG, I think, was around three, depending on which, which model you look at. It was either around 2.8 or 3.1. And, you know, getting two goals out of that, it's not great, but it's not that bad. And I think moving forward, if they can get these sorts of wins against these sorts of teams – that's going to give them a much, much better platform than we have uh, have seen from them in recent years. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Let's talk about – yeah, let's do it. Let's just talk about Hertha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they lost 2-1 uh, to Freiburg in Berlin. Freiburg, for them, that was a big win. That puts them into the top four. Pretty cagey stuff, though, in the capital. I think both teams were under one uh, XG. Not a lot of clear-cut chances in this game, but Freiburg by far the more confident and clinical side. They, uh, you know, found the finishing touch on two set pieces, including Nils Peterson's somewhat less spectacular than Brayel and below bicycle kick, but still pretty juicy. He made it 2-1 in the second half. We're actually going to talk about Freiburg at length, or I will, with, with a guest on a, on a Talking Foosball Extra episode coming up. So don't think we're skimping on them. But, you know, maybe maybe do think that I am really concerned about Hertha because I am. And, and you know, you probably don't have the same feeling that I do. But um, I, I gather that you do think that there is some trouble there. Yeah, for Hertha, for sure. And... I mean, I feel for the club and all those that, you know, support the club because it's it's like, when is the trouble ever going to stop? It's, it seems like the more money that they get, it just buys trouble. And I think Paul Dada is really, you know, he's, he's not going to have a very comfortable international break. And there is just the sense to me that he's kind of being treated as a caretaker manager in the sense that, you know, he came back, he knows the club, it's easy, he knows the players. But really, for Hertha's aspirations, he's not the coach that fits that their agenda. And I think, you know, we we can't really give Hertha any more puppy protection because they, again, um, went shopping in the summer, bought Jürgen Ekelenkamp from, from Ajax and brought in really talent in every section of the pitch. Uh, Piontek is now back from injury. Um, he is a player that, really is destined to be a European top striker. And, you know, uh, through injury and uh, transfers is maybe a little bit behind schedule there. But, you know, this is probably a club that is in the top third on in terms of the salary that they pay their players within the Bundesliga. And so you you got to expect a little bit more. And I do wonder how how long they're going to cling on to Paul Diodai if, if this is if this is what we're seeing. And I think one thing that really breaks their back a lot of the time is that they don't have a solid midfield that anchors them. And by that, I mean, they don't have consistency. They have fantastic players. You know, they signed Suatsiada, who is finally looking like pre-2019 Suatsiada again. And, you know, he's a German international. They, they have Ekelenkamp. They have like Mittelstedt who can sometimes play in midfield. They have, you, you can probably fill in the gaps for me here, but 
they have so much talent there, but you know, there's so much rotation and then you just lack organization and the, this German word of like compact, like you're not compact, you're not, your fortress isn't up, you know? And so like how many goals are you going to have to score if you keep conceding goals? That's, that's just not going to happen. So I think there is so much raw potential in terms of the city, the the club, the branding, um, although I hate that word, you know, it often gets mocked, this whole idea of the big city club. But yeah, Berlin should have a European quality club. And at the moment, Union Berlin from the eastern part of the city is looking closer to being that Berlin flagship club. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that, that's that's quite painful for a lot of people involved in, in the Hertha project. But ultimately, yeah, I think whatever that project is or whatever somebody thought it was at the time that uh, Las Ventura started pouring in his money, you know, 1.0 of that app launch um, <laughs> was terrible. And they're not doing 1.1 or 1.2 anymore. They need, they've basically switched over to 2.0. And that, that's actually not getting off to a great start either. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that, I think what they did in the summer transfer wise was pretty risky. I get the idea. I mean, I, I guess I talked about it in the past about sort of moving out the guys who were making a lot of money and not, um, sort of bringing a lot of success or who might have, might have had attitude issues. I don't know. Um, but ultimately I think that. There is also something wrong with coaching. I'm becoming increasingly concerned that I don't know whether it's the limitations of Pal Darda as a coach or the uneasy relationship he seems to have to uh, Bobic and management. He seems to like to like to needle them a little bit about how he's being perceived as a, as a caretaker coach. And I, I think you're right to say that. I think he is a caretaker coach. I think there is every expectation that this is going to be his only full season unless something very, very exciting happens, which ain't happening. <laughs> I think there's problems that he can't seem to string together a credible attack at all. Yeah. I mean, the players are of a sufficient quality that, you know, maybe for a 10-minute phase here or there, they can put some pressure on the opposition or they can sort of, you know, use their speed of, of foot and thought, guys who have it, Guys like Eklund Kamp and uh, Serdar and Richter and Malida when he's healthy, Piontek, etc. But top to bottom, or like as a system, this team does not work with the ball. They don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And also a huge problem is fitness. I don't know. I'm not going to say that they're not, you know, they're not fit enough. They don't run enough. I think maybe they might be a little work. They might have been worked a little too hard. But like basically here to have had eight players go down and miss time with muscle injuries of, of one type or another. And like we're barely into the season. I, I, there's something clearly wrong going on there. That's not just bad luck, I think. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like Paul Darda has done a lot for this club as a player, as a coach, his first stint, as a coach rescuing them. But I'm I'm really afraid that it's if they hang on for, to him for too long, out of a sense of either loyalty or lack of alternatives, that this could go very very bad. I know that Freddie Bobich has said that he doesn't want to make a change and until he's certain that he can make a change that's going to bring dividends. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's people out there. There are people, you know, Kofelt's out there, Lucien Favre's out there, Domenico Tedesco is out there. Yeah. These are all guys who have their own drawbacks, who are not sure things, who have had bad stints at various times, or, or th things go sour eventually in the case of Favre. I don't know if they're interested in getting involved in the hair to trash fire, but like, <laughs> you can't say that there are no alternatives to Peldardai at the moment. I think this is a really attractive trash fire. This is... This has like Schalke written all over it, you know, Schalke two years ago in the sense that there's a club with so much raw potential. Unlike Schalke, there's a lot of money. They have an excellent, excellent academy. We haven't even mentioned that. But in the past few years, you know, Jastrzemski, Mittelstedt, Arne Meyer, these are players that are now 20, 21, Toruna Riga. They're no longer 17. Um, they, they have some experience. You know, some of them have 100 Bundesliga games. And yeah, it's, it's kind of like what you said. I think it's really interesting what you said about fitness. Like that is just not allowed. Like that's a given. You know, you're in the top tier in one of the top teams in European football. 
you have money at your disposal, you have the best doctors, hopefully the best fitness coaches, nutritionists, you name it. You can't at this, you know, it's, it's hardly October and you can't have problems with, with muscular injuries um, in a young squad and that's well rested because they're not even playing um, in European competition. And one thing that did catch my eye, um, I'm perusing, I'm giving away my, my cheating tips here, but I'm perusing their squad on Transfermarkt right now and they don't have a lot of depth in the winger positions, and yet they oh yes, have... that was thematized quite a lot during the uh, the transfer period. There you go. I, I missed that. I, I didn't hear that, but I'm seeing it now, where it's too late. <laughs> and they have centre forwards of the very traditional mold. Um, you know, tall, good at headers, kind of like move around well in the box, fast, but very much kind of like early two thousand type of strikers in in the best way. I mean, that was such a great era, such a great decade for strikers. You're not always going to be able to uh, to need a through pass to them, in you know, as Seada um, and Ekelenkamp or even Darida are capable of doing. That's not always going to work because if you if you play against a team with a back three, a back five, um, two defensive midfielders, those doors are going to be shut. So it just, I feel like those coaches who you who you named, this might be the time for uh, for some fresh air. Unfortunately, we do know that there's that effect. You know, in the first five matches or so of a new coach where all the players compete, you know, the players on the fringes have a chance again. And maybe maybe that's what Hertha needs. Maybe they need some short-term injection of maybe, you know, getting 10 points from five games, you know. And, yeah, I think Favre and uh, Tedesco and Kofeld, they all, like you said, they all have different qualities and different weaknesses, but... I have to say, I think they could all do a better job than Paul Dardai is currently doing. Yep, I'm pretty convinced that's the case as well. And uh, I, I don't have confidence that there will be a, a move, but I am I think I might be out on Paul. I think I might be out. All right, let's talk about a team who uh, did make a coaching move, and it's worked out swimmingly. Let's talk about Cologne. They're in sixth. They, uh, you know, they, they notched a second come from behind win this season after the one on match day one against Hertha. They shook off a really poor first half uh, against Fürth, uh, in which they actually were maybe a little lucky not to go down by more than just one goal. But the second half, they were excellent. They really poured it on, scored three, and uh, all the all the Kosha Yekin were pretty much hysterical by the end of this one. They're all they're all out buying flat caps apparently. <laughs> I think. They are a team running giddy and absolutely high on enthusiasm and momentum and teamwork, um, for lack of a better word. I know that sounds really frilly and like it doesn't say much, but I haven't yet had the the chance to go to a, li- a game live in Cologne, but it's very high on my list. And it's a really fun fan culture. It's a really fun city. And... You know, if you have that vibe, if you have that spark between the crowds and the players, it's going to do well. And last year, when no one had that, Cologne, like other other clubs like Schalke or even Dortmund or Frankfurt, they, I feel like it was more of a disadvantage for them than for other clubs, just because it's so much part of their on-game performance, how the crowd pushes them, how the crowd rewards them how the crowd picks them up when they're down. Now I just sound like I'm like singing song lyrics. <laughs> but yeah, you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, in my opinion, this is not, this is a mid to low table quality squad. But the way they're going, if they're lucky, they, they could come seventh, they could come sixth. And uh, Louis Schaub is finally coming back, a very talented player who's Always had a little bit of trouble with coaches wherever he was, um, but really fine footballer, good, very skillful and strategic, modest. I mean, if you need a player to exemplify Cologne, that's modest in terms of like, he could not really play anywhere else. He's proven that. <laughs> and he's like a cold figure. I remember when, when he cried a few match days ago when he scored, it was offside. He scored again, it was called offside, and then it was taken back. And he, he was so happy and relieved that he cried on, on the field during the game. And yeah, the special club, I don't think, like I said, I don't think the players themselves have a significant quality. And what by that, for example, I mean, I don't see many of these players 
earning moves to the Premier League, to La Liga, or to the likes of like Eintracht Frankfurt or Bayer Leverkusen in the summer. But it works. They work well together. And um, that's testament a lot to the coach, who seems to understand that really different special culture in Cologne. And testament to the players, who are clearly um, doing what the coach says. Yeah, for sure. Stefan Baumgart and Cologne. It's a match made in heaven so far, and I, I, I have a feeling it, it could last a little while longer. Let's talk actually about uh, RB Leipzig. They, you know, they similarly made a, a coaching move in the summer and um, hasn't been quite as emphatically <laughs> right on just yet. I mean, and this this week was pretty wild for them. I mean, they they had a terrible game in the Champions League. Uh, they you know lost at home to to Belgian side Brugge. They had a very frustrating first half against Bochum. I mean, you could. You could almost hear the knives being sharpened by those who would like to see Jesse Marsh cut loose. But, um, you know, he did, he, he pulled the right string in the second half. He brought on Andre Silva, uh, up front. He scored within a minute of taking the field. Christopher Nkunku, who is, you know, his, his, his form scoring right now is, is molten. He just took it from there, adding two more goals. How much breathing room do you think this is going to give Jesse Marsh and uh, all of, of RB Leipzig? I mean, it's it's probably a good time to get a big win heading into a break and then sort of have a big reset, right? Yeah, I think it will give them a lot of breathing room because I think Jesse Marsh has his bed made for him. You know, he... With clubs, this is another reason why I think Paul Dada is in trouble at Hertha, just to detour there, but it's all to do with Leipzig, I swear. Paul Dada is not really Freddy Bobic's guy. He's He has the Hertha history going for him, and he was easy to turn to, but he's not what Nagelsmann was at Hoffenheim or what Domenico Tedesco was at Schalke when he was brought on from the second division from Auer, almost got relegated but got saved from relegation. He's not Florian Kofeld at Werder Bremen. So he, I don't think he'll have that mercy period of being, you know, everyone rooting for him. You know, these are people who have to watch their own chair and their own security. And at Leipzig, that's just not the case. You know, he didn't need um, intelligence on the Leipzig players because Leipzig has done very well in recent years. So you just have to turn on your TV. And he probably didn't even need new, like, coaching clothing because he's been with the... Red Bull Empire for so long and I think maybe there's a little bit of lethargy now that they're like talisman Julian Nagelsmann left the club but I think you know I I don't think Leipzig will be able to challenge Bayern Munich for the title this year just because that margin is already growing a little bit but I I think they'll they've got it you know they'll they'll come third or fourth as usual and They've had some spells in certain games and some performances, like, you know, when they had that huge victory a few weeks ago, which was like 6-0. I know who you're talking uh, about, okay? I know. I know. <laughs> was it Bochum? No. It? <laughs> no! No, it was Hertha! Oh, Bochum. It was, yeah, oh, oh, God. Well, I got the colors right, you know? Those <laughs> sure, sure. Blue and white. But, That's more of a dark yeah. move. And, uh, did, did you think yeah. I was giving you, like, a mercy silence of not... <laughs> I, had a, I had a feeling in my <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, bless Bochum. That's just mean of me to affiliate them with, you know, high, high tally losses. I, I wonder where that comes from. But no, I think Jesse Marsh, he's proven that he's a good coach and a good motivator. It's kind of like the Ted Lasso with the Bundesliga, except, you know, he has the soccer skills and tactical acumen to back it up. And again, with, with Leipzig, what does bother me looking at it, similar to, to what I saw at Hertha, is they haven't found their midfield core. And that they always had that in past seasons. You know, it was always Tyler Adams and Emil Forsberg, um, Marcel Zabitzer. And now it's like, if any of you play fantasy football, you'll know the pain of this. You don't know which Leipzig player to select because sometimes it's Schauberschlei, then it's Forsberg, then it's Adams, um, then it's Aydara. And it's just like impossible, I think, to build up the kind of like skeleton of, you know, the discipline structure, um, the core of the team, if you keep rotating like crazy. So I, I think hopefully that will stop and maybe he's found his guys now. Idara has been on great form lately, for example. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not really too worried about Leipzig. 
No, I, th- I think they've 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 got way too much quality uh, to to hang around mid table for too long. I am also grudgingly appreciative of what Union have going on right now. <laughs> um, not only are they they getting results, but they're sort of spreading the wealth a little bit. I mean, Taiwo Awani started off very strongly in the league at the early part of the season, kind of went off the boil, but man, did he come back with a vengeance this match day. I mean, he hit twice in four minutes to turn this game over. You know, Union are up into seventh place. I do want to get serious here for a second uh, and talk about Union in, in a different context, leaving all you know thoughts of rivalry and stuff aside. This would have been such a nice week for this club. I mean, they got wins in the Bundesliga. They got a big win in Europe. And then some of their fans really, really stepped in it and really did some awful stuff, you know, hurling anti-Semitic abuse at traveling Maccabi Haifa uh, supporters and like insulting Jewish fans in the stadium built for the Nazi Olympics in 1936 is like, who would, who would do that? Who would do that? Wait, but like, that's not true, right? They, they play in the first array, which the fans built, I think, 20 years ago or so, right? No, they're they, European matches they play in the Olympia Stadium. That is surprising to me. I, I, I didn't even gather that from the pictures for some reason. Yeah, that's awful. And really, I mean, Union has such a cult following, even internationally. You know, you'll go to like some sports bars in, in Liverpool and there'll be Union scarves. And that is just so not what I think to neutral observers the club stands for and it's awful it's actually really scary to me you know that in germany's capital city in one of the most famous venues um of any kind in germany this could happen and if anything i don't think it's gotten enough press i heard about it through twitter rather than like the news to be honest uh, which was a shame i i read about it um through Felix Tamsud, who always does really great work on um, fan culture in Germany. And yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you raised it because it did, you know, take me aback. And it's, it's really, really sad that that happened and awful, I think, for, for the visiting supporters and the visiting players to have had to go through that. Yeah, it made me, it made me angry. It made me sad. It made me think about these folks who, you know, many of whom probably were coming to Germany maybe for the first time ever. Mm. And even doing that might have been, you know, brought up some interesting, difficult feelings for them. You know, I'm putting myself maybe, I don't know what these people's deal was, but this can't have been anything other than a very, very um, disappointing and painful experience for them to to go through that, where they went through it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. We'll just talk about the Bundesliga for another minute or two uh, mm-hmm. here. We can talk about um, VfB Stuttgart and TSG Hoffenheim. This was kind of a surprising result to me just coming off the back of, of what Hoffenheim did to Wolfsburg last week. That was, you know, fairly impressive 3-1 win, but they, you know, basically got the, the tables turned on them by Stuttgart in this one. Yeah. Konstantinos Mavropanos scored pretty much the goal of this game and certainly the best solo <laughs> dribble from a center back I've seen in some time, at least capped off by a goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's so much to this match day. It's, I mean, I feel like you said it all there, so there's nothing for me to add, but this is, this was a really like meaty, meaty match day and a, and a really good point to kind of like, you know, we all feel like we've eaten a very good meal before we have to starve for two weeks, so to speak. <laughs> So I, I'm really, I feel like I'm very lucky that I got invited to be on this particular show rather than, I think there was like a week ago where there had been no goals until halftime apart from Bayern putting four past Bochum. <laughs> and that was just like, so everything that's wrong with the Bundesliga, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot more right with it than wrong. But yeah, this, this was a really cinematic weekend. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was good to have you along. Oh, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I'm actually very proud of my dog because he hasn't announced his presence yet, like he did last time. Um, so yeah, he's kind of been my co-anchor in in podcast appearances of late. 
Oh, that's so nice. Dinah, my dog, is not in the room with me this episode, although she's made her presence felt <laughs> in recent weeks. Where, where is Dinah? Oh, Dinah's, she, Dinah's she downstairs. She's, she's hanging out on the couch. Yeah, that sounds nice. Well, see, you have a downstairs. I'm envious of that. I have like, you know, a few doors in my apartment that separate the spaces. <laughs> but, you know, I, I look out over East River and over the city lights of New York, so I can't complain. Excellent. Well, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Marie, super, super to have you back again. Yeah, um, it was thrilling. I feel a sense of superiority because I had a big comeback in my kick-based fantasy Bundesliga team, having signed Piontek and Embolo over, you know, the so-called weekly transfer window and having let go Alassane Plea. So thank you, Gladbach, for turning things around. I also now have Zakaria and I know no one cares about any of this, so I'll stop it there. But yes, if you will find that if you play fantasy games, you will watch... Augsburg matches, even if they don't play Dortmund, you will watch Union matches, you will watch anything, Mainz, um, no disrespect to those wonderful, wonderful clubs, but you will be very invested in the individual fates of the players of Europe's most exciting league, and that's my spiel done. Absolutely, and, and and funny, funny you should mention it because we do have a show called Talking Football Fantasy. There you go, which uh, comes up, you know, every every Thursday slash Friday before match days. We are going to be off, of course, for about uh, you know a, a week and a half. But uh, James and Flo will be back uh, to set you up for match day eight. Don't you worry. Anyway, um, you can follow Marie on Twitter at Marie Shubo and, and by all means do watch her YouTube show Marie's Bundesliga Minutes uh, if you want to contact me I'm at Mr. Matt Herman uh, over there on Twitter do subscribe to the pod you know tell your friends about the pod give us a review all that good stuff Talking Foosball Extra will be coming your way in a matter of days perhaps even twice during the course of the international break anyway bis to next moment